we're still gathering those pieces of the puzzle. We have not started putting the puzzle back together. We're not at that juncture at this point right now. On tonight's KRBD Evening Report, investigators say the pilot of a sightseeing plane that crashed in the Misty Fjords last week was involved in another crash less than a month before. Plus, public health officials in Ketchikan record 25 new COVID-19 cases with five hospitalized. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Mostly cloudy tonight with lows in the mid-50s and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. Partly sunny on Thursday with highs around 70 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. On Thursday night, mostly cloudy with lows around 60 and northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Chance of rain Friday with highs in the mid-60s and southeast winds to 10 miles an hour. And rain Friday night with lows around 60. It's the KRBD Evening Report. I'm Eric Stone. The pilot of a sightseeing plane that crashed last week near Ketchikan, killing all six people on board, was involved in another accident less than a month earlier, according to federal investigators. KRBD's Molly Lubers has the story. Alaska State Troopers identified the deceased pilot as 64-year-old Rolf Lanzendorfer of Klee Ellum, Washington, in the August 5th crash that killed him and his five passengers in Missy Fjord's National Monument Wilderness Area. The National Transportation Safety Board's Alaska Office Chief Clint Johnson says Lanzendorfer was also the pilot of a July 9th crash, when an aircraft of the same make and model hit a buoy and capsized during takeoff on Prince of Wales Island. He was the sole occupant of that plane, which crashed near Kaufman Cove. There were no injuries. The airplane received substantial damage, so it is an accident. But keep in mind that both of these events are being investigated separately. And neither of those investigations are complete, Johnson says. He says the NTSB is not ready to draw any conclusions over any connection between the crashes, and neither should the public. We're still gathering those pieces of the puzzle. We have not started putting the puzzle back together. We're not at that juncture at this point right now. As one group of NTSB investigators look into the plane's operator, Southeast Aviation, and the pilot, another team traveled to document the wreckage itself. Johnson says crash investigators flew over the site on Sunday, but since then, poor weather and low visibility had hampered efforts to land. That is, until Wednesday, when the weather began to clear. We've held the crew in Ketchikan waiting for this weather window, and we're going to capitalize on that. The wreckage is located between 1,800 and 2,000 feet on a mountainside, and is only accessible by helicopter. This wreckage is in a very challenging site, heavily treed trees, 100, 150 foot tall, and very steep terrain. The only way that we're going to be able to get that wreckage off of the hill is by slinging it with a helicopter. Wreckage recovery is only one of the first steps. The complete investigation into the August 5th crash will likely take a year or longer, before NTSB releases its findings. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Molly Lubers. Ketchikan public health officials reported 25 new positive cases of COVID-19 as of 5 p.m. Wednesday. Five people are currently hospitalized in the COVID-19 unit at Peace Health Ketchikan Medical Center, according to the community's COVID-19 dashboard, and a total of 98 cases are active. 
In the past seven days, there have been 66 new positives. 24 of those are linked to congregate facilities where people live and work in close proximity. 26 are close contacts with known positive individuals. Seven have been linked to community spread four are travel-related, and four were lost to contact, and therefore the source is unknown. Of the 66 cases in the past week, 28 individuals were not vaccinated but were eligible to be vaccinated, 23 had been fully vaccinated, three were ineligible, and the vaccination status of the remaining nine was unknown. Ketchikan's COVID-19 dashboard is available online at the borough's website. That's kgbak.us. Sport fishermen in Juneau are gearing up for this weekend's Golden North Salmon Derby. But empty shelves and bait freezers all over town have a lot of them asking, why is it so hard to find bait herring right now? KTOO's Matt Miller tried to find out. Watch your stuff, Chris. A little tricky. Brian Wallace leads the way down the narrow, steep stairs into his basement and opens the door of his freezer. He pulls out a single small tray of bait here. That's it. That's the only one that I have left. Wallace says the herring are smaller than he likes. He's also worried about them not staying on the hook. You know, to me, the bait, they seem a little mushy. The flesh on it is just not solid enough for me to be confident. An avid fisherman who goes out as often as he can, Wallace is saving this single little bait tray for the first day of the derby because he can't find any more in town. And we checked in with a bunch of Juno stores that usually sell bait herring. All said they were out. Some have been for months. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's sad to hear that. That's Rachel Stewart, co-owner of Jerry's Bait in Port Ludlow, Washington. That's the company that produced and distributed Wallace's Bait. We've only been able to fulfill orders for our customers. In a normal year, the volume of herring Stewart sends to Juno is enough, but this year something went wrong in the bait herring supply chain. So everyone else that's been calling us that normally gets their bait from Canada, we can't supply them with bait this year because there hasn't been enough. And here's where it gets complicated, because it turns out that in Canada, it's not that they didn't catch enough herring, it's that they're the wrong size. Grant McNeil of Walcan, a wholesaler based in Quadra Island in British Columbia, says they all came in too big. Those big herring are used by commercial fishermen, sport anglers like a 5 to 6 inch fish. And McNeil says there just weren't a lot of those this year. I was down this year by about 90% in what I was able to put up on treble bait, which is massive, like 90% down on any specific product is a huge anomaly. Jim Kearley, owner of Growler Cove Bait Company, based in Victoria, says there's another issue. He recalls as many as 10 companies in the area catching bait herring 25 years ago. Now he says there are only two. And the last probably 10 years, it's been very difficult for them to catch the correct size. So with no bait herring in town, what can sport anglers do to land that big winning king or silver? Derby officials and fish and game biologists suggest a flasher and a hoochie, spoon, or plug, maybe with some herring scent added, or maybe you still have an old package of hooligans stuck in the freezer. Wallace says he might actually use his last tray of herring to catch something else. Get a halibut and then uh, 
I uh, use the halibut guts for more bait. It works great. You, know, you just uh, chop the stomach in half, stick it on there, and it's a nice, beautiful, tasty treat. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Matt Miller. Residents of Juneau will soon be able to weigh in on the future of voting by mail in the city. As KTOO's Bridget Dowd reports, the Juneau Assembly is considering turning a city-owned warehouse into a more permanent ballot-counting facility. On Monday night, the Assembly learned it needs $700,000 to remodel its Thane warehouse and purchase ballot-counting equipment. Assemblymember Michelle Bonnet-Hale says once the request for those funds is drafted, voters will have a chance to make their voices heard. We're going to try to have at least two public comment periods so that people have an opportunity to weigh in and tell the Assembly what they feel about the proposal to go permanently to vote by mail because that's what building that voting center would do. Juno implemented a temporary vote-by-mail system for the 2020 election due to concerns over COVID-19. Currently, that requires city officials to use an Anchorage facility for ballot counting. That's what will happen again in 2021, but if this new proposal doesn't hit any snags, Juno would have its own facility next fall. Timing was kind of tight, and the reason it's kind of tight is we have to give the people that manufacture those machines lots of lead time, so that's why we have to be working on it like right now in order to have it in place by October of 2022. Hale says by having a facility here in town, she thinks Juno's elections would gain an added level of certainty and security. You know, we're the capital city and if we can do it ourselves, the cost is a little high, but I, I feel that it's worth the cost. And I, I also feel that study after study has shown that vote by mail increases voter turnout and makes voting easier for voters. The proposal will be introduced at the August 23rd assembly meeting. They'll take public comment at that meeting and at the one on September 13th. In Juneau, I'm Bridget Dowd. The Petersburg Rotary Club's Rubber Duck Race is an annual fundraiser helping raise money for the club's community projects, scholarships, and exchange programs. A similar race takes place annually in Ketchikan. But as Katie Anastas reports from KFSK in Petersburg, the August 7th event turned into much more than a rubber duck race. For those who haven't witnessed the Rotary Rubber Duck Race, a quick explainer. Hundreds of people buy tickets for a chance at three cash prizes. A $10 ticket puts your name on one of the rubber duckies released into the outgoing tide at Hammer Slough in downtown Petersburg. We're going to say three, two, one, release the Kraken. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, release the Kraken! Most years, this event happens during the 4th of July weekend. But with limits on in-person meetings and other COVID restrictions, the club pushed this year's race to this month. Club president Aaron Hankins says that ended up being a good thing. We you know, get to meet and greet versus if you try and do it on the 4th of July, you know, a lot of stuff going on. Everyone's kind of seeing, you know, um, all the other different booths and stuff to buy and so many tickets are out there. This is a lot more rotary-centric, and so I kind of get to mingle with people and tell them a bit about what we do and a little bit more about rotary. Proceeds from the race help support local community service projects as well as scholarship programs for high school students. This year, the club sold 742 tickets, a new record. John McDonald was in town visiting his brother, Wally. 
When Cindy Lagadakis found out he played the bagpipes, she asked him if he wanted to play during the race. So I just offered my services, and I got a free hot dog and beer out of it. I know, pay the piper. <laughs> the multicolored rubber ducks spent 10 minutes floating down Hammer Slough underneath the Louis Miller Bridge to the finish line. Pink is coming back. Pink is coming back. Hankins kayaked over to the winning ducks and read the numbers for his fellow Rotarian, Dave Berg, to announce. In first place, Chris Clark, winning $1,000. In second, Six, five, eight, Sarah Hansen Hofstetter, winning $300. And in third, Alan Malone, winning $200. First place winner Chris Clark said he and a friend had bought 20 ducks. When asked what he'll buy with his share of the money, he said, Probably boat stuff. Clark wasn't the only winner on Saturday. Standing by Fisherman's Memorial, Hankins pointed to a pair of rubber ducks in the slough, painted as bride and groom. He got down on one knee and asked Keely Swanson to marry him. Last week we were talking and I've been teasing him for a while, like, oh, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. And he just says, like, I'm waiting to get my ducks in a row. And I knew the duck race was this weekend, but I didn't think anything of it. And so when he was on his knee and he said, well, my ducks are in a row, I was like, are you kidding? The row in the slough included a pink duck for Swanson's daughter, Aria, and a blue duck for a baby boy on the way. Okay, you can reel them in, Jared. <laughs> he reeled in hers, so you can reel in those. <laughs> Volunteers collected the rest of the ducks using kayaks and dip nets. In Petersburg, I'm Katie Anastas. That's it for tonight's KRBD Evening Report. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Eric Stone.